I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's start this morning by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, now as we come to this time to opening up your word and hearing your instruction from it, Lord, we pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts, Lord. Lord, open our eyes. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts willing to obey your word. Let us see what you want from us, desire from us. And greater still, Lord, let us see you, who you are, and what you have done for us so that we might have life in you. So, Lord, bless this teaching. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're looking at verses 12 through 26 this morning, so the rest of chapter 7 there. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 26, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 142 in the pew Bible. Page 142 in the pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take that pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. because We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use that. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 26. Now, sometimes what motivates you to do something is what's to come from it, right? So a, a college student goes to college, works hard in college. Why? Because that student hopes to have a good career in the future. So study hard, work hard to obtain that future career, what will come. Now, right now in Deuteronomy, we're asking the question, what motivates you to live holy unto the Lord? What motivates you to give your complete allegiance to the Lord? We're, we're focusing in on the first commandments. You shall have no other gods before the Lord your God. You're to pledge complete allegiance to him but what motivates that what motivates you to give your complete allegiance to the lord and so last week we we looked at uh, we learned to live holy to the lord because of god's sovereign grace and your responsibility your salvation is due first and foremost to god's sovereign grace and god's sovereign grace alone God's sovereign grace motivates you to live holy unto Him. Further, you are responsible to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, even as God is working in you to save you, to will and to work for His good pleasure. You're responsible for working that out. So your responsibility in that also motivates you to live holy to the Lord. Now, when we talk about God's saving grace, right, His sovereign grace, His electing grace, we are talking more about 
God's past grace. You have been saved in Jesus Christ. God predestined you before the foundations of the earth. He sent His Son to die for you. And now, if you are a Christian, you have been saved in Jesus. That's all past tense. It's what God has done in the past that motivates us to live for God today. But you see, God doesn't want us just to look in the rear view and at this ride of Christianity. He also wants us to look in through the front windshield. He wants us to look ahead of us, what is to come. And so as we move now in Deuteronomy chapter 7 to this, this next little section here, going to the end, Moses kind of shifts gears. He, he, he was telling us what God has done for us, and now he's going to show us what God will do. What God will do. So we live holy unto the Lord, holy to the Lord because of God's future grace. Live holy unto the Lord because of God's future grace. Not just what God has done, but what God will do. And so that's the focus of our text this morning. And we're going to see here three future promises that motivate you uh, to give your undivided allegiance to the Lord. Now, we need to remember our context here. The future promises in our text here in Deuteronomy are covenantal blessings that Israel would have experienced in the promised land had they lived in obedience to God's will. If they had kept the covenantal uh, stipulations that God had given them, they would have experienced these blessings in the promised land. That's the old covenant, right? Israel going into the, the land in Israel, the nation of Israel. They were going to set up this nation, and they would have experienced these very physical blessings, covenantal blessings, had they lived according to the covenant in their own day and time. We're New Testament Christians, right? We're, we're New Covenant. We're under the New Covenant in Christ Jesus. We're still saved by God's grace through faith, but we, we have, there's, there's kind of a, a new way of doing things, if you will. And so I want us to look at this text, and we're going to look at what God promised Israel, but what we see is a lot of these promises that God gave the people of Israel going into the promised land, they're also mirrored to New Testament Christians, New Covenant Christians, as we look ahead into God's future promises in His eternal kingdom. And so I want us to see the Old Testament setting, and then I'm going to take you to the New Testament. So I'm going to be quoting a lot of New Testament scriptures here. You don't have to follow me along on all of these because we're going to have to move through them pretty quick here, but... Now, you might want to write them jot down, jot them down on your note sheet there. You might want to look them up later. So that's what we're, we're going to consider today. And because it is such a long text, we're, we're not going to read all of it as we start. We're just going to work our way through it. So as we begin to look at our text here in Deuteronomy 7, verse 12, uh, starting in verse 12, we, we are commanded to live holy to the Lord because... God promises prosperity. God promises prosperity. Now, let's look at our text there, 12 through 14. 
And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, talking to Old Testament Israel, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be, a, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. Now you see there, you, we recognize that in that text, the focus is on this physical prosperity. A very physical prosperity. Uh, their herds would not be barren. Their herds would multiply. The grain in their field would multiply. They would prosper in the land of promise if they kept the covenantal, uh, covenantal agreement with God. That was the promise given to Israel. Again, we're not Israel. Now, here's where the, the prosperity gospel people, they like to come to texts like this and say, this applies just like it does to them, just like it applied to them, it applies to us. And they begin to preach this idea of prosperity. We're not in the Old Testament, right? We're not Old Testament Israel. We're New Testament Christians. We're not going into the land of promise in Israel over there in the Middle East. We're going to the land of promise and glory and God's eternal kingdom. But we see that we have these same blessings somewhat mirrored for us in the New Testament. And so I want to look at that. And as we look at God's promise of prosperity for believers, those who are in Christ Jesus, first of all, we see, we note that the New Testament promises us spiritual prosperity. The New Testament promises us spiritual prosperity. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus promises his disciples, those who follow him, that they will have life abundant life prosperous life what does he mean that they will have abundant life some of that does include abundance in this world and this life but we need to be careful how we understand this let's continue on here and we'll figure out what jesus is talking about paul kind of paul put it like this in second corinthians 8 9 for you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He was rich. He had all creation at his feet. It all belonged to him. Yet Jesus became poor, being born to a poor carpenter. Jesus became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich so that you by his poverty might become rich jesus promises his followers that they will become rich they will become abundant they have an abundant life they will prosper in life but understand both jesus and paul are not talking about material riches here 
They're not concerned with material riches. The New Testament is not concerned with material riches. Jesus was poor all of his life here on earth. Though he was the creator of all things, he lived in poverty. All of his apostles lived in poverty their entire lives. They're not promising material riches. But they promise, what they promise here, what they promise abundance of, is greater than, is far more valuable than worldly riches. Going on down to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, Paul proceeds on, and he said, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Let me say that again. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of your righteousness. You see, in the Old Testament, God promised their seed, their physical seed, would multiply. They would have an abundance of a a harvest. Their fields would be full. Their grapevines would be full. They would have an abundance. They would prosper in, in physical things. But as we turn to the New Testament, the focus is not on the physical things of life. But now the New Testament gets to the most important things. You will prosper in righteousness. You see, God's main goal for His followers is to become like Jesus Christ. To become more like Jesus. He could care less about how much money you have in your bank account. What God is concerned with is that you would prosper in righteousness, that you would prosper in becoming more like Jesus, conforming to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what He wants for your life. He wants you to be rich in good works, rich in righteousness, rich in becoming like Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5, Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus wants us to be prosperous in life. But not with material things. For material things often pull us away from God. He wants us to prosper in good things, the the righteous things of God. He wants us to bear fruit unto the Lord. That's what He desires for us. Spiritual prosperity is far better than material prosperity. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17-19, Paul says this, As for the rich in this present age, the rich who are there in the church, that Timothy had charge over. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them, young Timothy, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, right? The the riches of this life, they're, they're uncertain. If you have a 401k right now, you realize that's uncertain because it's just dropped in the last six months. Big time. The riches of this world are uncertain. But on God, right? Focus on God. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God promises us spiritual prosperity. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit who begins to work in us to change us, to change our desires, to change our wants, to change our goals. He gives us the power to accomplish good in this world. He gives us the power to live righteous unto the Lord. No, not perfectly, but He gives us that ability to become more and more like Jesus. Dear friend, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, God wants you to be spiritually prosperous. He wants you to prosper spiritually. You will prosper spiritually if you trust in Jesus Christ and devote your life to Him. God promises spiritual prosperity. But not only that, God also promises us eternal prosperity. Eternal prosperity. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, you're familiar with this verse. Jesus tells us, don't, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where the thief comes in and steal and rust destroys and fire destroys. Don't, don't, don't store up treasures on earth. Rather, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Invest in heaven because that treasure is assured. That treasure never ends. That treasure never gets depleted. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's where our focus is to be because that's the eternal treasure. 2 Timothy 4.8 Paul, looking at his last days, getting ready for the, the, his head to be removed from his shoulders. Right, Paul is getting ready for the end. And notice what his focus is on. It's not on the gavel that is to come. It's not to the chopping block that is to come. His focus is on eternity. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing oh we have the wonderful promise of an eternal treasure in god's eternal kingdom that's why we live for christ today that's why we live for jesus christ that's what drives us to live in obedience to god's will that's what drives us to conform to the image and likeness of jesus christ that's what drives us every day to crucify the flesh 
and live for Christ. Because what God has promised us in eternity, He has promised us, the Lord has promised us eternal prosperity. Live holy to the Lord because of His promise of spiritual prosperity in this life and eternal prosperity in the life to come. Second, live holy to the Lord because God promises health. God promises health. Boy, we all want that, don't we? God promises us good health. Look what verses 15 and 16 say. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew while he inflict, uh, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the people that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their, their gods, for that would be a snare to you. God will take away all of your sickness. God promised them that he would, he would heal them. He would keep them healthy. He would keep them healthy if they c continue to live in that covenant with him. God promises health. Now, we know, we know that we don't have, always have good health, do we? The greatest of all saints don't, don't always have good health. They have things like cancer and, and heart disease and all of these other terrible diseases that, that are in this world. But we see in the New Testament that God does promise us health, that we will be healthy. Number one, again, He promises, God promises spiritual health. He promises spiritual health. You see a pattern going here. I know you do. He promises spiritual health. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. By his wounds, by the wounds of Jesus Christ, you have been healed. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, your wounds have been healed. Not your physical wounds, certainly not. We still have those ailments. But our spiritual wound has been healed. We were dead. We were separated from God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we've been made alive. We've been brought back to life. We've been given spiritual life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. This is the condensed version because we don't have time to read all of it. But uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Right? That's the bad news. You were dead. We were dead. Dead to God in our trespasses and sins. We were condemned. We were children of God's wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. God has spiritually healed us in Christ. Let me tell you, dear friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you are dead. 
You might be healthy, physically healthy, physically fit. You may feel great. You may not have a, a, a worry in life as far as health goes, but you are dead. You are spiritually dead, separated from God. You're a child of God's wrath. And if you continue in your dead state, you will only suffer an eternal death when you stand before God on the day of judgment. When God sentences you to death in a devil's hell. But God promises, if you trust in Jesus Christ, He will make you alive. He will give you life, new life in Jesus Christ. A healthy life in Jesus Christ. God promises us spiritual health. But not only that, but God also promises us eternal health. God promises us eternal health. And I love this. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist, he's, he's still having, he's, John the Baptist is in prison. He's having a little doubt, right? Now, have you ever had doubts? He, he's having a little doubts, and, and so he sends his disciples to, to go see Jesus and, and ask Jesus, are, are you the Christ who is to come? Are you the one? I thought you were, but, but things aren't moving quite like I thought they would. So let me make sure, are you the one? And Jesus tells his disciples, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. You know, Jesus' healing ministry, he, when he was, walked this earth, he healed a lot of people. He even raised a few from the dead. He did a lot of healing. But, but you, do you know that all of those people that he healed and and those people that he brought back to life, eventually they got sick again and they died. You see, what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, and, and as far as healing goes, was just a, a, a foretaste of what is to come. He was just giving us a foretaste what is to come. There's coming a day when he will heal all of our illnesses and give us perfect, not just spiritual health, but physical health. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now did you get that? After you have suffered for a little while, this life will have its suffering. Right? We will endure suffering in this life. But Paul, uh, Peter here tells us, and this is God's promise to us, after you have suffered a little while, while you've suffered in this life, God Himself will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. He will heal you from all your ailments. While we do experience spiritual healing in this life, there will still be sickness and ultimately death, lest Jesus comes back before that. But God promises a day when sickness and death will be no more. 
Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Go to the end of the book, right? There we see the end. Christ, it says there that Christ will one day wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. No more pain. No more aching joints. No more heart attacks. No more suffering over sickness. No more pain will be, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Oh, praise the Lord that God promises us a day that He will heal us. He will heal us. He has already begun to heal us spiritually as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. But one day He will heal us completely. Spiritually and physically, we will be healed. We all are looking forward to that day. So God promises us, he promises us uh, prosperity, he promises us health. Third, God promises victory. God promises us victory. He will give us the victory. He will give us victory. We see this in relation to Israel and their upcoming conquest. We see this in verses 17 through 26. Now, for time's sake, I'm only going to read till 21. So here's your homework. You read the rest of it and see what the rest of it says. But I'm going to stop at verse 26. Or excuse me, verse 21. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, talking to Israel, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Remember what God did. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord brought you out. So will, so he brought you out, past grace. So will, future grace, the Lord your God do to all the people's from whom, uh, of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you, from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. He'll send hornets after them. He'll do whatever he can to dispossess all of your enemies. He's going to get rid of them altogether. He is going to give you the absolute victory. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Look to the victory. God will give you the victory. And God gave Israel the victory. He gave Israel the victory as they went in to conquer the land of promise. For us, again, we're not going in to conquer any land on this earth. But we're going into His eternal kingdom, His eternal promised land. And so here again, we see in the New Testament that God also promises us victory. He promises us spiritual victory. He promises us spiritual victory. Romans chapter 6, verses 6-7. through 7. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Jesus Christ in his death, his life, death, burial, and resurrection won the victory over sin for us. Dear friend, if you're here today, and if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you are a slave to sin. You are a slave to sin. You're driven by fleshly desires. You're driven by sinful desires to live in disobedience to God in accordance to the ways of this world. But God promises you if you trust in Jesus Christ, He will give you victory over sin. He will give you the victory over the penalty of sin. Over the penalty of sin. That the penalty of, of your sin will no longer be on you. He will place that penalty on Christ. He's already placed it on Christ. And Christ paid the penalty of your sin in your place. And so if you trust in Jesus Christ, God will give you victory over the penalty of sin. Not only that, He will also give you the victory over the power of sin in your life. He'll give you the victory of, pow of the power, or give you victory over the power of sin in your life. If you're lost, then sin drives you. That's what motivates you. But when you come to salvation in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and He frees you from that, the power of sin. You can say no to sin. You can walk away from temptation through the power of God if you trust in Jesus Christ. And not only that, He promises that someday He will give us power over even the presence of sin. For Scripture tells us when Christ returns and all of us go up to meet Him in the air that we will become like Him because we will see Him. What does it mean we'll become like Him? We will become like Him in perfect righteousness. Oh, in this life, even as Christians, perfect righteousness is never possible. We continue to sin. Oh, we have power over sin. And it gets less and less the longer we live in Christ, the more we live for Christ. But there's always that, that presence of sin in this life. But when Jesus returns, the presence of sin will be no more. God gives us victory over the power of sin, the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and even fut uh, in the future, the presence of sin in Jesus Christ. But not only do we have the promise of spiritual victory, but also here again, God gives us the promise of eternal victory. Eternal victory. 1 Corinthians let me flip over there. 1 Corinthians. Flip a little further. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This will be familiar to some of you. Verse 50 through 58. We see here that, that God gives us victory over all of our enemies in Christ Jesus. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. Oh, I listen for that trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul ends here with this motivation because of God, what God will do, live holy unto the Lord. What will God do? He will defeat that final enemy. He will defeat that final enemy. On Calvary's cross, Jesus Christ defeated sin. And on Calvary's cross, He defeated death. And in His resurrection, He defeated death. He defeated death. He whooped it. Right? He, he put it to rest. But we still suffer from death, don't we? We still suffer from death. We lose loved ones to death. And if the Lord tarries, we'll all suffer death from this life. A physical death. But He promises us that when Christ returns, when that trumpet blows, the final victory will be realized. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. Those of us who are still alive when that trumpet sounds will be lifted up in the air and will be changed in a moment in the blink of an eye will be changed. This mortal body with all of its sin and defects and, and sickness will be changed to this imperishable body, will become like Christ, and death will be no more. Oh, we are waiting for that final trumpet sound, for death to be put to rest once and for all. He's already defeated death. He's already won the victory. We're just waiting for it to become reality. It's kind of like this. When the Civil War ended, after General Lee signed that agreement to, to give up, you know, even after that, there were several different battles that continued to rage until word finally got out that General Lee had surrendered. You know, death still rages the battles, right? That We still fight 
against Satan in this world. We still fight against death in this world. The battle's already been won. We're just waiting for the day when the trumpet sounds and all of these battles are finally put to rest once and for all. God promises us that he will give us eternal victory. Eternal victory over sin and death. Oh, why do we live the way we live? Why do we as Christians live holy to the Lord? Why do we give our complete allegiance to the Lord? Because of God's future grace. Because what He has done for us and what He will do us do for us in Christ Jesus. But that is the key, isn't it? Christ is the key. Under the old covenant, God's covenantal blessings were contingent upon Israel's faithfulness to maintain the covenant and live in obedience to God's law. But Israel failed to keep the covenant. In fact, uh, a couple of chapters on over there, Judges chapter 2, verse 11 through 12 tells us, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they appointed, uh, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Under the old covenant, Israel failed. But under the new covenant, God's covenantal blessings, His future grace is not contingent upon our obedience, dear Christians. But it is based upon the obedience of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, that was Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The many will be made righteous. You see, we are made righteous through Jesus Christ. He lived in complete obedience to the will of God. He lived in complete righteousness and died on the cross for our sins. He took our penalty so that He could give us His righteousness. He's already performed the obedience. He's already done that part. He has earned the covenantal blessings for us. And when we trust in Him and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, He pours out those blessings upon us. Oh, dear friend, if you want to realize the covenantal blessings of Jesus Christ, the covenantal blessings that God has promised to New Testament, New Covenant believers. Trust in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. God's future grace is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Therefore, dear friend, if you never trusted in Jesus, trust in Him today. Surrender to Christ. He's already earned the blessings. If you put your faith in Him, you will receive them. But if you don't, there's no way to earn them on your own. Jesus is the only way. 
trust in Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you realize what He has done for you and what God will do for you in Him, then let that drive you to live holy to the Lord. Let that drive you to give your complete allegiance to God and to live for His glory. Let God's future grace drive you to live holy unto the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the future grace that you have assured us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so thankful that your, your, your grace is not something to be earned. We can't earn it. It's impossible. It is beyond our reach. Living in a perfect obedience to your law is impossible. But Lord, through your grace, it's possible in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to earn your grace, but it is freely given through faith in Jesus. Oh, Lord, let what you have done and will do for us drive us. Never allow us to try to earn anything but in humble appreciation, let your grace drive us to live for your glory. And Lord, certainly there are those who are here or listening in today. Lord, they don't know your grace. They don't know your salvation. They don't know the hope of eternity in your kingdom. Lord, turn their eyes to Jesus. Let them see Jesus and trust in Him. Let them realize Your grace. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.